We're turning in our Bibles tonight to the book of James, chapter 5. So good to see you. I appreciate your faithfulness to the Lord. Being in church on a midweek, cool outside, warm in here. And uh, I'm so thankful for the many people who serve in ministry here. In our children's ministry, the children's choirs practicing. Uh, crowd is going on. The crossover's involved in the choir. And then we have our hyphen students out tonight, young adults. And I appreciate Brother Drew ministering here last week while I was at Urshan board meetings. I know he did a tremendous job. My wife gave me that good report. And uh, he always does great. And he's ministering in hyphen tonight. Brother DJ was preaching in Dallas this past Sunday, Dallas, Texas, not Dallas, Georgia. And uh, we're blessed with a tremendous team of volunteers and team members and people who serve the Lord at Atlanta West. James chapter 5, verse 7. I know you've been standing a while. It's always a given at Atlanta West. If you need to sit down, you can sit down anytime. Uh, we're not going to make guilt anybody for that. James 5, 7. Therefore, be patient, brethren, under the coming of the Lord. See how the farmer, I'm the new King James King James says husbandman there. The farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, waiting patiently for it until it receives the early and latter rain. You also be patient. Establish your hearts. For the coming of the Lord is at hand. Do not grumble against one another, brethren and sistern, sisters, lest you be condemned. Behold, the judge is standing at the door. My brethren, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord as an example of suffering and patience. Indeed, we count them blessed who endure. You have heard of the perseverance, King James says, the patience of Job, and seen the end intended by the Lord that the Lord is very compassionate and merciful. I want to leave you this passage tonight. Hopefully it will mean something to you for the rest of your life. I want to talk to you about the long look. The long look. You may be seated. I know that our personality affects our interactions, our tendencies, but more people than you would think are impulsive acting on whims, jumping to conclusions. The most exercise some people get is jumping to conclusions. Leaping off the cliff of irrational decisions. And far too often, the impulse for instant gratification and quick results undermines our ultimate spiritual and natural Success, perseverance, pays. Patience always pays. In June of last year, 2018, I taught a short series on how things work in the kingdom of God. How things work in the kingdom of God. And in that series of messages, I tried to underscore some biblical principles that have practical application in our lives. God designed the universe to operate by natural and spiritual laws. These laws of nature, like inertia and gravity, and other laws that are natural laws, and spiritual laws 
They're incontrovertible. In other words, they cannot be denied or disputed. Anything that God determines as a law, you can argue with it. You're swimming against the current. That's why the way of the transgressor is hard. God established a certain order and a way things work in his kingdom. And you can either fight them and pay the price or cooperate with them and be blessed. Live by God's laws or pay the price for violating them. One of the principles by which God's world operates is this principle, the law of process. God does things in a certain way in our lives. He always does. He doesn't have exceptions to that. In the case of Abraham and other Bible characters, you've heard me teach through the years. I'm going to give a little sort of recap and reminder here at the beginning about the the birth, the death, and the supernatural fulfillment of a vision. Anytime God ever makes a promise, that promise will be born, that promise will die, and that promise will be supernaturally fulfilled. That's just how God works. He gives you a promise, then it becomes impossible. For Abraham, Sarah is barren. Abraham becomes too old to father a child. And when Abraham and Sarah cannot make it happen on their own, then God supernaturally gives Isaac the promised son. The birth, the death, the supernatural fulfillment of a vision. That is how God works. It's the law of God's processes in life. You may know that God will always test you before he entrusts you. Part of the same idea, but God is not going to hand out a great place of leadership or trust before he first tests you. I love the example. We have the story of the life of Joseph. But in Psalm 105, you'll see one verse on the screen in a minute. He sent a man before them, even Joseph, who was sold for a servant, whose feet they hurt with fetters. He was laid in iron until, this is the verse, until that his word came, the word of the Lord tried him. Most of us know the story of Joseph, that it seemed like his whole life was going down, down, and further down, down into a pit, down into Egypt, down into prison, until God's plan became absolutely hopeless. You could see the same idea at work of the birth, the death, the supernatural fulfillment of vision is God's process. He always works this way. And then, in a single day, he goes from the pit, or the prison rather, to the palace, the second in command. And what a great story, as long as it's Joseph's story, but I don't want my story to go like that. I don't want to be thrown in the pit. I don't want to be sold into slavery. I don't want to have to go to jail. I don't want to be forgotten for two full years just to wait all that time to get exalted, right? But if you're going to operate in God's world, and whether you're saved or not, His principles are universal. They're applicable whether you're saved or not. Amen. The law of gravity works whether you have the Holy Ghost and speak in tongues or you're a pagan. And God's laws are universal and and they're irrefutable, right? 
So that's the story of Joseph. The the king sinned and loosed him. Even the ruler of the people let him go free, made him lord of his house, ruler of all his substance, to bind his princes at his pleasure and teach his senators wisdom all in a single day. A verse that I feel like is an important verse for people to understand, the same idea of God's processes is in Deuteronomy chapter 8, 16. The Lord is explaining to Israel how he worked among them as he led them to the wilderness. He said to them, Who fed thee in the wilderness with manna which thy fathers knew not. Let me just pause. This is not really part of my message. But but manna came every day except the Sabbath. And on the day before there was enough for both days. So that is trusting God whether you like it or not. And God could make the manna come seven days. He can make the manna rot. If you keep it overnight, except one day a week. One day a week, it lasts for two days, and then it will rot. And because he put them in a place where they had to trust him every day, every day, every day. And there are seasons in our lives where it seems like we, when we say, you know, teach our kids to say, thank you, Lord, for our daily bread. In the wanderings in the wilderness, it was thank you, Lord, for our daily bread. Notwithstanding Friday, you got a double dose, right? Thank you, Lord, for daily bread. And there are some times in life when God just keeps that. There's, you have to have the long look, but he only provides just a little bit farther along. And that's what he did with them in the wilderness. Continuing with this verse, which thy fathers knew not. And he did it for a reason. Watch these three things. That he might humble thee. And that he might prove thee to do thee good at thy latter end. There's another verse in this same chapter. He said he humbled you to see what was in your heart. Same chapter, Deuteronomy 8. But do you see this process? God humbles. And when you get in a place of humility, then he tests you. And when you prove you're faithful, then he blesses you. But he doesn't humble you to only humble you. He doesn't just humble you to test you. He humbles you, me too. He humbles us to test us so we will be worthy of his blessing in our lives. He tests us before he entrusts us and before he blesses us. But from the very beginning of that process, in the mind of God, he always sees the desired result that he wants to bless you. But you've got to have patience and the long look to stay in the process and not bail out along the way. That's what my message is tonight about the long look. To ride out the storm, to ride out the the period of humility and the season of testing as God is making you the kind of person who contain a big blessing. Until Joseph's word came, the word of the Lord tried him. That 17-year-old boy who had dreams bigger than he was worthy to live out, God had to make him the kind of man who could live out that kind of a dream. So in God's world, it's not just getting a certain degree. It's not just achieving a place of status. It is understanding how he works in your life and having the patience 
to wait until God blesses you and not forcing blessing or manipulating blessing. That's why people lie and cheat and steal and cut corners and step on the backs of other people because they do not trust that God is in charge of everything. Every government, every business, every system, every person. And if you will maintain your integrity and let God bless you, instead of forcing it to happen, you will have the blessing of God in your life. But you have to have the long look. When I was a youth pastor, I taught youth ministries in, in the Bible college in Jackson. And I was reading about youth culture. And one of the things that I learned having been a teenager, having been a youth pastor long before I was ever a father, you know, I was an expert on teenagers till I had teenagers. One of the things they said is that, you know, young people tend to be impulsive and they make snap decisions and they make, they make decisions in the now. And they see, like, you just do it, it's a gratification. And one of your goals is to extend the reference point for decision makings beyond the now. Whether it's not just do this based on now, but to look ahead to consequences. To realize that kicks have kickbacks. That the decisions you make today have some kind of an outcome, good or bad. And if you sow wild oats, you will reap, right? You sow the wind, you reap the whirlwind. And so you have to try to teach young people that whether you're 12 or 20 or 40, every decision has an outcome. And if you learn to make good decisions early and you think long-term, if you have the long look, then you're going to be more likely to make a good decision. Now, I will dare say that most temptation is about instant gratification. It is the devil saying to Jesus, I'll give you the kingdoms of this world right now. No suffering, no cross, no death and burial. I'll give it all to you now. You don't have to wait and you don't have to suffer. That is Satan's way. It is like Potiphar's wife saying to Joseph, everybody's out of the house. It's just you and me. I mean, you don't have a Bible. Your pastor's not in the room. Your parents are hundreds of miles away. What's to stop you from fulfilling the lust of the flesh? But Joseph would not do it because he had a dream. He had a long look. He knew where his life was going and he wouldn't sell out. You've got to have that long look because temptation is typically about now, the impulses of the flesh now. <clears throat> well, you may remember uh, when I was teaching that series, right, way back then, a year ago, a year and a half, that I told you a story of Brother Paul Mooney in a hospital going through an automatic door not knowing it was automatic. And he was trying to force the door open and putting all of his weight. You don't remember anything about that sermon, but this story. But see, I, I thought you might remember this story. And I watch all the lights go off everywhere. So that, this, that's the series that goes with this story, okay? It's like three lessons in an impact Bible study too. So anyway... He's leaning against the door, and a little nurse comes up and pushes the button, and the door automatically opens. And she said to him, Sir, you are working against the design of the door. There 
are people, probably not sitting here, there are people who are trying to force something to happen in life, but they are working against the design of the door of life. They're working against the design that God made. That's why I wanted to spend some time right now reminding you of how God works, how things work in the kingdom of God, that God has processes and they always require that we develop patience in our life. Let patience have its perfect work. And the bad news about patience is the Bible said that tribulation worketh patience. Trouble teaches patience in our lives. So you cannot buy it. It is not a spiritual gift. It's not going to just fall on you in the altar one day. It's going to come through the school of experience in your life. But if you understand how God works, you can trust him and believe him and you can develop the long look that you refuse to sell out on the short term. Amen. Now let's go to James 5, 7. So we're talking about patience, perseverance. King James says patience. James says... Therefore be patient, brethren, unto the coming of the Lord. I'm going to pause right there. We're going to walk through this passage tonight. Most of what I will say tonight will come from this passage. And that's, well, I hope you can make a note here and there. And you will have this passage maybe with a few insights uh, that you've not seen before. Maybe not. We'll see. How long are you to be patient? A day? A week? A month, quarter of a year, a year, a decade. You know, I, I get nervous when I hear people say, I can't take it anymore. I don't think I can put up with this another day. I just cringe, you know, because you that's what you say you can do. You're probably going to do that. But the Bible said, as your days are, so shall your strength be. And that if you worry about tomorrow, you double the cares of today. There's a way we have the long look, and there's a way we deal with trouble and stress and worry by taking that a day at a time. But James says, be patient. Therefore, brothers and sisters, sorry for all the ladies, this is written in the masculine gender, unto the coming of the Lord. How long am I supposed to put up with this? Until the coming of the Lord. How long am I supposed to deal, as Paul had to deal, with this thorn in the flesh? The thorn in the flesh is not your spouse or your children. It might be you. You may be that thorn. But whatever that was to Paul, it was an infirmity in his body, you know, from what we know. But the Lord said, Paul, guess what? Not going to heal you. I'm going to give you grace. My grace is sufficient. My strength is made perfect in weakness. And Paul said, therefore, I'd rather glory in infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. That verse became very special to me at a season in our life where the Lord taught me a lesson through a life experience. 2 Corinthians 12 became pretty special to me. Be patient, therefore, brethren, 
unto the coming of the Lord. That doorway turns into a hallway, and we just make up our minds. We can pray for deliverance. We pray for a miracle. We pray for an answer. But when it comes to dealing with life's difficulties, whether it is trouble or persecution or an affliction, be patient unto the coming of the Lord. Now, the Lord may come before I finish preaching and teaching tonight, and I believe in the, in the imminent return of Jesus Christ, that he could come at any moment. I don't believe there's one more prophecy that needs to be fulfilled, not one more person that needs to be saved, although we want more. But from God's perspective, according to his word, I do not believe that there's anything holding back the coming of the Lord. But when he is ready, he that shall come will come and will not tarry. And to them that look for him will he appear the second time without sin unto salvation. All right? So I know that he could come in any moment, but I can't live saying, well, if you don't come by tomorrow, I'm giving up on patience. The long look is unto the coming of the Lord. Now let's stay in this verse. He gives us an example. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, waiting patiently for it until it, that crop, receives the early and latter rain. So now James is giving us his first illustration, and he said, I want you all to to live your life in the same way a farmer farms a crop. Now we know that he doesn't plant and reap, in the same day. So remember, whatever you want to see harvested in your life, whatever you want to see God bless you in, in your life, we know that you need patience for it, that you have to be like a farmer who plants today, knowing that you're going to plant in this season, and you're going to harvest in another season in your life. Psalm 1 says that the man that walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor standeth in the way of sinners, nor sitteth in the seat of the scornful, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law doth he meditate day and night. He shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that bringeth forth his fruit when? In his season. Not the moment he plants himself by the rivers of water, but there's a season that is coming that is a season of harvest. James is writing this so that the people of God will not be discouraged because they're in a season of suffering, affliction, persecution. Things are not going very well for them. And he wants them to cultivate a long look in their life and not feel like God has abandoned them, not feel like something's gone wrong in their life. So 41 years of ministry, 24 years serving as a pastor, it concerns me, you know, people my age and older start wondering why they're getting older. And things, you know, it's not like when you were 24, you know? And what, oh my goodness, has God forsaken me and abandoned me? No, just read this book called the Bible. You're getting older. Solomon said one day, you know, things are going to be tough, right? He says you need to remember him in your youth before your body falls apart, basically, right? 
And Paul said, if this earthly tabernacle's dissolved, we have a, one in the heaven. We're looking forward to that glorified body. God has not forsaken you, hasn't abandoned you. It's just life. So don't get upset at something that you know is going to happen and you're not unique. You're not the only person that ever got old. You're not all old, but you're not getting younger if you're young. All right, so let's get back to this farmer while, and so I can get out of trouble here. Now, in our culture, you sow in the spring, reap in the fall. In the Middle East in that day, you know, they had the, they had the early rains and the latter rains, and they would actually it would begin raining in the fall, maybe like in October, November. And those first rains would soften the soil enough and between the rain, they would sow their crops. So, so they were totally dependent on something they couldn't control. That's what I want you to understand right now. You have to have patience like a farmer because he is sitting there twiddling his thumbs. He's ready to go plow. But throughout the summer season, it's very dry. It may not rain at all. And that soil becomes very hard and the farmer cannot plow and he cannot plant. He is stuck. He's having to wait on God to let it rain so the ground will be soft enough, soft enough, so he can go put a plow in there, turn the soil and plant the seed. So that's beyond his control. And James wants you to know this too. That you have to be patient and that there are some things beyond your control. I read this one time. I've taught it here a couple of times. That if you're angry or if you're worried, you're probably trying to control something that you shouldn't be trying to control. When I first read that, I thought, wow, I need to read that. I need that. When you're worried, when you're angry, you're probably trying to control something that you shouldn't. I have tried to learn that when things are out of my control, that there's nothing I can do about it, that it's in better hands than mine. That if I can't fix it, if I can't control it, then I need to just say, thank you, God, that you're in charge of this and you know what you're doing and obviously I don't. Amen. Now, I also learned that the definition of maturity is that the greatest lessons in life you'll ever learn are the ones you thought you already knew. Because we have a basic nature, human nature, and a personality, and a disposition, and all of that affects how we're wired, and how we think, and how we work, and guess what? When you wake up tomorrow morning, it's still going to be you in the mirror, right? Wherever you go, there you are. Still going to be me that I've got to try to wrestle down, like Paul said, I keep under my body, bringing myself into subjection. I don't let my flesh get away from me. I'm paraphrasing Paul, but I try to do the right thing, and I have, to, I have to discipline myself. He said, I'm under a pugilist, a trainer, that's trying to bring me and teach me how to be a Christian. All right, so here's this farmer. He's got to wait, and some things are out of his control, and he has to trust God to let it rain. 
So they're going to have the early rain. I might have said that backwards earlier that will come in the fall. And then the latter rain in the spring. Now that rain is going to come. The crop is out there. It's growing. But that spring rain now ripens the crop. And there are various crops. Barley might have been the earliest. And, you know, crops don't all ripen at the same time. But once again, the farmer wants that crop to mature. But he cannot make it mature. He is waiting on the latter rain to come. And when that rain comes again, the former and the latter, now the crop is going to ripen and he's going to be able to go put in the sickle and reap the harvest. And in our lives, James said, I want you, brethren and sisters, to remember about farmers that they plant in one season and they reap in another that there are some things that are beyond their control that have to do with God's work in in their farming. And God loves the farmer, and God wants us to eat. He gave us us rain and fruitful season, filling hearts with gladness, the Bible says in Acts. And so God wants it to rain. He wants you to be blessed, but you cannot control it. And when you try to manipulate it in God's world, it always crashes and burns. So the farmer, he has long patience. Everybody just say long patience. That's what the King James says. He has long patience. He's living with the long look. And you can either, you know, curse God and die, be frustrated, or you can learn to flow with God and work with God. We are laborers together with God and not be weary in well-doing, knowing in due season we will reap If we faint not. Solomon said that there's a time to plant. And there's a time to pluck up or harvest that which you planted. There's a time for that. And everything is beautiful, Solomon said in Ecclesiastes, in its season. So everybody that got all that, say amen. Now, don't miss this in verse 7. James said, 5 and 7, Therefore... Now, everybody's been in a few Wednesday night Bible studies, has heard me quote Ruby Martin, my Bible college instructor, one of them, who said, whenever you see a therefore in the Bible, you need to look back and see what it is there for. What is it there for? So in this case, James says, therefore be patient, brethren, unto the coming of the Lord. See how the patient, the farmer is patient, right? So now let's look back and let's figure out why the word therefore is there. What is it there for? And what is James talking about? And if you have your Bibles, you can go back. You'll not see these verses on the screen. I'm going to read them in the New Living Translation to save some teaching time tonight. James 5 and 1. This is what sets up the therefore, okay? James says, look here, you rich people. Weep and groan with anguish because of all the terrible troubles ahead of you. Your wealth is rotting away and your fine clothes are moth-eaten rags. Your gold and silver are corroded. The very wealth you are counting on will eat away your flesh like fire. This corroded treasure you have hoarded 
will testify against you on the day of judgment. Now, nothing wrong with being rich. Some of the great people in the Bible were wealthy people. But look what James is getting ready to say to the people and how they got their wealth. Verse 4. For listen, hear the cries of the field workers whom you have cheated of their pay. The cries of those who harvest your fields have reached the ears of the Lord of heaven's armies. You have spent your years on earth in luxury, satisfying your every desire. You have fattened yourself for the day of slaughter. You have condemned and killed innocent people who do not resist you. James said, that's the kind of people I'm preaching against right now that are in the world, that have ill-gotten gain, that have cut corners, that have cheated people, that have done everything against principle. So now to you godly people, James says, therefore, brethren, because if you look out in the world and you see how all of that evaporates in a moment, remember Psalm 73 when he said, my feet have well nigh slipped, I, you know, I thought I saw the prosperity of the wicked and I thought, man, I'm really messing up, living for God, nothing's paying off. Look at how they are. Then he said, I went into the house of God. And when I did, I considered their end uh, and you have set their feet in slippery places. It looks like they're doing really good. And then just in a moment, it's all gone. Just like Joseph who goes through the trial, in a moment, the blessings come. And for the wicked, James said, God's got your number. And therefore, my beloved brethren, because we're not like the people in the world. We live by a different value system. We live by the virtues of the Bible. Therefore, brethren, be patient unto the coming of the Lord. That's my message tonight, is that we need to live by this principle of patience. Amen? That God wants us to Follow his principles, and one of them is the process by which he works in our lives or through which he works in our lives. And it involves, be patient, therefore, brethren, unto the coming of the Lord, and be like that farmer who sows in one season, he reaps in another. There are some things that are beyond his control that only God can do, and in his time, God will bless them. The husbandman waits for the precious fruit, of the earth. Verse 8, verse 8, now he's going to apply this truth. You also, just like that farmer's patient, you also be patient, establish your hearts, for the coming of the Lord is at hand. Now, now notice what James does. Be patient, therefore, brethren, under the coming of the Lord, because it could be a long time. But at the same time, I want your hearts to be established. Don't be wishy-washy. I want you to be strengthened, established, settled, as the Apostle Peter said. I want you to be strong in the Lord and the power of His might. I want you to be strong, right? As Paul said in Ephesians. But establish your heart. Take courage. Don't sink under your trials. I thought of Psalm 27, 14 here, and I want you to see this. Wait on the Lord. Be of good courage, and he shall strengthen thine heart. Wait, I say, on the Lord. James, I think, borrowed this idea that in the same way the farmer waits and is patient. I want you to be patient. I want you to establish your heart. I want you to wait 
on the coming of the Lord. But then now he says, for the coming of the Lord is at hand. It could happen at any moment. So on one side, you've got to be patient. On the other way, don't get lazy and slothful and think it's never going to happen because it's right at the door. It's very close at hand is the way you need to live your life. So be patient and wait, knowing that it could be a long time or it could be a short time that the Lord would come. And in this time, the Lord will let it rain, the former rain, the latter rain, the early and latter. And then it's important for you to kind of recognize what happens when you're waiting the temptations of losing your patience. Now, look at verse 9 with me, James 5, 9. With, when I first was looking at this verse, and I'd already been through the passage, I thought, when I read this verse, everybody's going to think I'm off my subject. But James puts this in his subject, all right? This is all one passage. He begins it, he ends it. You'll see how he wraps it up. If you're looking at your Bible, you can see it all goes together. So look at what James says, 5 and 9. Do not grumble against one another, brethren, lest you be condemned Behold, the judge is standing at the door. So, all in the same subject, James says, here's what I want to tell you. If you lose your patience, if you lose your long look, and you think the coming of the Lord is never going to happen, or you give up on that, there's a, there's a dynamic that begins to take place in your relationships. Your relationships get messed up when you forget you're living for the coming of the Lord and you're patient under the coming of the Lord. He says, so I want you to know that while you're waiting, you be very careful that you don't grumble against one another. Now, I want to show you another verse, the words of Jesus that relate to this. Matthew 24, 48. But and if that evil servant shall say in his heart, my Lord delayeth his coming, and shall begin to smite his fellow servants, and to eat and drink with the drunken, the Lord of that servant shall come in a day when he looketh not for him, and in an hour that he is not aware of, and shall cut him asunder, and appoint him his portion with the hypocrites. There shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Jesus said the same thing. If you think it's never happening, the Lord's never going to come back, the Bible isn't true, we're just living this life, and then we're going to die isn't it amazing how all these spiritual things play out in life with people? How you see God affects how you see people. How you see salvation affects how you see people. If you know that God will not forgive you unless you forgive other people, you'll forgive other people so you can be forgiven. But when you hold a grudge... And when you murmur against one another, grumble against one another, as James said, you've lost that long look. You've forgotten that you're living for eternity. And sometimes you live through injustices. You live through people who won't do the right thing, even though you have. James says you better remember the judge is standing at the door, ready to knock at any time. So you stay on your toes, right? Don't ever get slack in your relationship with God. Verse 10. This is still James. I'm just preaching James' sermon to you tonight. James said, my brethren, take the prophets. Here's another example. Remember the farmer, he's an example. 
Now remember the prophets, they are an example who spoke in the name of the Lord as an example of suffering and patience. Now James says, I'm going to add another component here. That the prophets are an example that while they were waiting, things did not go get very well for them. Jesus asked, which of the prophets have you not killed? Stephen preached about that in Acts 7. They went through a lot of suffering and difficulty, but they spoke in the name of the Lord. They had that long look, and James wants all of us to look at the prophets of old who went through so much suffering, but they did not give up. They are an example to all of us that you've got to learn to suffer while you're being patient and not give up. They're an example of suffering. They are an example of patience. And the Lord tells us that when we are reviled, that we should not revile again. That Jesus said in Matthew 5 and 12, Rejoice and be exceeding glad, for great is your reward in heaven. For so persecuted they the prophets which were before you. James grabs this idea, maybe from the teachings of Jesus, and says, don't you remember all those saints in the past? They went through a lot of stuff, but they didn't give up. The writer of Hebrews told us to be followers of them, who through faith and patience obtain the promises of God, that we should not give up, though we go through difficult times of difficulties in our life. These Bible heroes who were mocked and scourged, beaten, killed, sawn in half, all of the trouble that they went through. But the Bible said that they were not mindful of the country they came out of. If they would have been looking back and thinking of the past, they would have had an opportunity to have returned. But now they desire a better country, which is a heavenly. They're looking with that long look toward the reward that God has promised them. About Moses, the Bible said that he had respect under the recompense of the reward. He saw payday coming, and he didn't give up when it would have been convenient to his flesh. Now, James says, all right, all of you saints out there, I want you to remember the prophets. They're an example of patience and suffering. Now, this may not be how you are, but some people, when they go through a tough time, they say things like, this is the worst. No, I... Your broken fingernail is not the worst. Dog ate your homework paper. That is not the worst. Lost your job. That is not the worst. The worst is to be lost, right? We know that. That's the worst. But here's here's what I'm going to read into James, not in the Bible. But he said, I want you to remember the prophets because sometimes we feel like, oh, we're the only one who's ever been through this. No one else understands where I've been in my life. And God's not come through for me. I've been serving him faithfully. And look, look how things have turned out. And James says, hey, hang on, hang on, hang on. The prophets went through a little bit. They're an example of suffering and patience. Suffering and patience. Suffering 
and patience. So when you go through tough times, don't feel like you're the only one that's ever been through that or that it's worse on you than it is on anyone else. And for me, not only do I have the example of the Bible, of all of the biblical heroes, but I am blessed with so many elders in my life, many of them who have already passed away. But I watched how they lived their lives, through adversity, difficulty, some through persecution, and they did not give up. And it is an encouragement to me that if they could do it, I can do it. If the prophets can make it, I can make it. If I, according to Hebrews 12, am supposed to look unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of my faith, the originator and the completer of my faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down on the, at the right hand of the throne of God. If he could do it, I can do it. James wanted you to know that. Verse 11. Sorry, James is not finished. Indeed, we count them blessed who endure. Now, if you're reading the King James Bible, happy. In the Greek, the word blessed, happy, they're, they're really synonymous in some occasions. We consider those who endure as blessed. Now, why? Why would you say that just enduring alone makes you blessed? If I just suffer for a long time, am I blessed just because I suffer for a long time? No. I'm blessed because of the outcome. I'm blessed because of the payoff of hanging in there, of not giving up. Now James is ready to roll out his star witness. Are you ready? He's told us about the farmer. He's told us about the prophets. And now he rolls out Job. Anybody want to get in the ring with Job and say it's worse for you than it was for him? I mean, I'm surrendering right now. I do not want to be over there saying, yeah, man, Job, he didn't have anything, you know, he didn't go through anything like I've been through. No, James, now he marches Job up in front of us. And he said, I want you to think about Job. And he tells us, you have heard, King James, the patience of Job, the perseverance of Job. And you have seen the end, the, the outcome, right? The end intended by the Lord, that the Lord is very compassionate and merciful. Amen. Blessed, but what is blessed? It's blessed, rich, famous, successful, healthy. That may be the byproduct of blessing. The blessing of God is favor on your life. Shows up in lots of different ways. And what you may think would be a good blessing for you, he might know would destroy you. Believe me, he knows us. And remember, he'll test you before he entrusts you. So if you're going to get on this ride, there's going to be some real deep drops. And it's going to take your breath away. But God is in control of the process. You just need to stay on the ride of patience, having its perfect work. So let's just talk a little bit about Job. He is the epitome of patience and endurance. Outside of Jesus, he suffers more than anyone that we know. 
It deserves more than a drive-by toward the end of a message. But that's really what James, he just gives us a single line. So let me just share a few little reminders about the life of Job. He was patient. He persevered. Here's what I like about Job. Well, there's a lot, right? In a single day, he lost all his kids. He lost all of his livestock. And before that day was over, Job 1.20, and Job arose and rent his mantle and shaved his head and fell down upon the ground and worshipped. I don't know what you did the last time you had a really bad day. I don't know what you did the last time you had the worst day of your life. I'm talking about really the worst day. But I'm just telling you what Job did. And James said, don't forget Job. He fell on the ground and worshipped. And he had the right perspective. He had a long look. He said, naked came I out of my mother's womb, and naked shall I return thither. The Lord gave, and the Lord hath taken away. He didn't say the Lord can't take away. He said the Lord has. He gave me all those things, and just like that, he took them all away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. In all this, Job sinned not, nor charged God foolishly. And then, you know, Job is smitten with boils from head to toe, and he's sitting on a pile of ashes with a piece of pottery in his hand, and he's scraping his skin. And his compassionate wife, I know she gets a bum rap, you know. She feels so sorry for him. Head to toe, sole of his feet. And she looks at her husband and says, Dost thou still retain thine integrity? Curse God and die. Job, if all you've got to do is say, God, I'm out. I'm tapping out too much. He said unto her, Thou speakest as one of the foolish women speak. Now, you can say a lot of things about what a fool is. The fool has said in his heart, There's no God, foolishness. If wisdom is seeing life from God's point of view, foolishness is probably seeing life from any other perspective but God's perspective. And Job is saying, Hang on, hang on, woman, wife. You're speaking like someone who doesn't have the long look, you're speaking like someone who doesn't understand. The end of this. Shall we receive good at the hand of God and shall we not receive evil? We were really happy when God gave us all these wonderful things. Now we're just going to decide he's not God because we don't like what just happened. In all this, did not Job sin with his lips? A couple of other Job verses, 13, 15. Job said, though he slay me, yet will I trust him, in him. But I will maintain mine own ways before him. Job 19.25, for I know that my Redeemer liveth. Here's a man that didn't have a Bible, maybe one of the oldest books in the Bible, written probably for the law and the prophets. Here's Job, this ancient Bible character. I know that my Redeemer liveth and that he shall stand at the latter day upon the earth. 
And though after my skin worms destroy this body, yet in my flesh shall I see God. Job believed in a bodily resurrection. Whom I shall see for myself, and mine eyes shall behold, and not another, though my reins be consumed within me. Job 42, 12. Everybody say the long look. So aren't you glad I didn't get through all 42 chapters of Job one at a time? All the way fast forward to the end. Job 42, 12. So the Lord blessed the latter end of Job more than the beginning. For he had 14,000 sheep, 6,000 camels, and 1,000 yoke of oxen, and 1,000 she-asses. He also had seven sons and three daughters. <clears throat> Called the name of the first Jemima, and the name of the second Keziah, and the name of the third Karen Hapak. And in all the land were no women found so fair as the daughters of Job, and their father gave them an inheritance among their brothers. And after this Job lived a hundred and forty years, and he saw his sons and his sons' sons, even four generations. So Job died being old and full of days. Job had like that long look. I'd like the worship team to come, give us a little hope here. <clears throat> Years ago, uh, my mom said something to me. My mom is not like a preacher, or like real philosophical. She's the practical mom. And I've shared this at least one time here, you know, in the past 24 years. But uh, I was talking to my mom, and she said, You know, Daryl, um, throughout marriage, Dad and I, you know, we've been through a lot of tough times. My dad was a carpenter. He was out of we work for weeks at a time, construction slowdowns and, you know, almost no income, four kids, and um, tough times. She said, you know, just stuff that happens in your life. She said, there's a lot of times that it would have been easier to just hang it up and walk away, just forget it. You know, marriage is hard. After that, you die. No, you know, life is hard, and after that, you die. Um, she said, just, sorry, I got off my story here. <laughs> and uh, she said, but we were taught that you're married for life. Now, there's an exception clause in the Bible for marital unfaithfulness. But there was no reason for that for my mom and dad. So she said, we knew there's not an option. Like, you don't get a divorce. You just don't. It's against the Bible. You, you have no cause. So that means you're just stuck. But they're stuck too, right? So, And then because you know that there's no option out, you can't opt out, and you make it work. Here's what I know. That if you have an option, you're probably going to take it. So people who just say, oh, Wednesday night, what are you going to do tonight? Well, there's no option. We go to church on Wednesday night. What do you do on Sunday? We go to church. You mean you pay tithes, you return 10% back to the Lord? Sure. It's not even, they don't even think about it. Just the way we live. We trust God's principles. 
And we don't rob God in tithes and offerings. That's the Bible. So my mom said, we just, we just, dare we just made it work. When my dad passed away, he died on July 23rd, 2015. It was a day after their 66th wedding anniversary. My dad was so low at the point of death for several days. And I'd flown in from, uh, from Illinois at a camp meeting and thought my dad wasn't going to make it through a night. And he lived a, several more days, almost a week. And we brought, got them this beautiful floral arrangement. We send mom that same one every year now. Beautiful floral arrangement, tropical flowers in the hospital room. And we don't even know how my dad hung in there one day past their anniversary, but he did. And uh, I was thinking about my mom and dad that had that long look. And what it means to me and what it meant to my siblings. And I'm not saying this as some big example, but for my wife and me, we made decisions, not because I'm a preacher, but we made some family commitments and decision, decisions many, many years ago. And as a teenager, I started trying to plant some things in my life. And I hope you understand, I'm not trying to brag to you. I don't have anything to brag about. I don't deserve anything, but God's been merciful to me. But we started planning some things in our life early on in that season. And then there are some things not under my control that God started doing. He started letting it rain on that ground, you know. But now, in our life, now I'm looking at my mom and dad, and then I'm looking at our life, and... You don't plan and harvest the same day. And I'm looking at harvest in our life now. A wonderful church and our family. Now children's children, grandkids, and you're thinking, oh my goodness. You know, my mom knows exactly how many grandkids. She's so proud of her family. But that wasn't an accident. Somebody made up their mind to be patient Therefore, brethren, under the coming of the Lord. That when things are bad, you're at wit's end. You don't, have, you don't know what to do. You don't know how you're going to make it. How you're going to forgive. How you're going to get through this. You don't look down. You, you look up and out. And you say, God, give me a long look right now. Help me, God, look past. Help me look past this season of suffering. Help me look down the road, Lord, to what I want to be and what I want to have and what I want to see in my life. Give me the long look. Would you please stand, and if you're able... Would you just begin to come to the altar? And uh, I'll try to say this occasionally. I know some of you have extremely early mornings. And if you need to go, you're sure welcome to go. But if you have a few moments, I want us to just ask God to help us have the long, long, long look.